G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our Sunday evening round review edition. Although there still is one game left in the home and away schedule that is happening on Monday evening. Collingwood taking on Port Adelaide and we will have a full preview of that game a little later on. But... We can tell you, even at this stage, all eight finalists are set. The Western Bulldogs make it. Melbourne misses out for a second year in a row. We're here to run through all the games that concluded for 16 of the 18 clubs, the 2020 home and away season. As I say, very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Well, we're almost done for the season. I can't tell you the exact mathematical equation because as I live longer, I realise maths just wasn't my subject. But you know what? Bloody good effort. Big picture, great effort by the AFL to complete this home and away season. Um, a mega performance given the different handling of COVID by the states and the needs to set up hubs. And you know, I found it a pretty engaging season. Actually, I've got used to no crowds and shorter games or, or small crowds or fake crowds or the same commentators. It's not easy to get used to it, but I think it's been... A, a, I'll tell you what it has been. Bloody worthwhile for Melbourneians who haven't had much else, Robin. Uh No, we certainly haven't. Although, funnily enough, I uh, ran into... <laughs> I ran into an anti-mask uh, protest today at Chadston whilst I was getting my lunch. Uh, which was interesting. Uh, actually, a couple of... Uh, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, uh, I was walking with my partner and about five uh, van loads of cops jumped out, uh, heading for a protest that uh, was almost invisible to the eye. In fact, there was about 10 times as many cops and uh, media and people just filming the whole thing on their phones as there were protesters. I did read subsequently there were a couple of arrests um, and two people have been charged with the heinous crime of singing John Farnham songs in a public space. Kill them. Uh, and well, I think the penalties for that can be quite severe, as indeed they should be. <laughs> it was quite it was quite a bizarre scene. It's in fact probably the most exciting thing that's happened in my life for six months. But you, know what, you know what's funny about those protesters? Um, they're batshit are... crazy, yeah. Well, there, there is a, a certain core of sort of anarchists, and I don't like the term professional protesters, but there are um, just a, a certain core of individuals in this country and other countries who, are, who rail against the governments, and they are at protest. And the funny thing is that during non-COVID times, they all wear masks so they can't be identified. Yeah, but as soon true. as COVID hit... These very same mask-wearing um, agitators have ripped their masks off 
to protest. Yes, well, have you also noticed the irony that a lot of the um, uh, columnists in uh, in this country who, who normally are very pro-authority have suddenly become all anti-authoritarian when it comes to police enforcing the laws? There's been some remarkable changes of heart, uh, I've noticed. Nothing at all to do with pushing a certain political agenda, but there you go. Anyway, we digress, and I agree with you. It has been uh, just the logistics of getting this season done. Uh, it's been a, a jolly good show. 153 home and away games uh, in total once we play tomorrow night, so that is, what, 45 fewer than we have become used to, and they've packed him into a a far shorter space of time. And, yeah, given all the obstacles, uh, pretty good effort by the AFL and, you know, the governments involved, which have um, assisted and everyone else has been part of the effort. So, uh, well done, you all. I'll tell you what I've we said need... This, I've said it before to you, Rowan, cheese twisties. I've said cheese twisties to you, haven't I? Yeah, you have. Is this? I'm just. I'm. I'm not biting anymore, Fawny. Like when you say cheese twisties, I'm not going to go. What? I'm just going to wait no, for but you. I, to... I thought you might remember. Cheese twisties is, you know, they they for years they've produced the same size packet with less twisties in it. That's how they. <laughs> okay. get, that's how they get you. There's just okay. way less twisties than when I was a kid. Yeah. But no, you know I, what? I... And that's what this. That's what this season has been. But you know what? I still like twisties. And I still like footy. Yeah, well, how, how stupid of me not to have immediately grasped that metaphor. It was so obvious. Um, <laughs> should we talk about footy, perhaps? No, we should talk about Andrew's hamburgers. Okay, well, let's do that then. The best. And they haven't done the old cheese twisties trick, which is smaller. I'll tell you who has done it, though. You know that American burger company? I got one of their standard issues because I only ever have a cheeseburger from them if I'm forced to have one. They have reduced that down to the size of a small of, of a uh, fifty cent coin. That thing has shrunk like nobody's business, and I got on good authority that it has shrunk from one of the chefs who worked there and lives in my house. Um, so, not at Andrews. No, 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 no way, no way, no pride themselves on that beautiful bun with a circumference that has not suffered from recessions, depressions, cutbacks, drawbacks, fiscal mismanagement, headhunters, cost cutters. No way. Same size, beautiful burger, Rowan. <laughs> it's a beauty. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. No shortcuts. Just the best burger in Melbourne, if not Australia. Do you know what the actual circumference of the bun is? Um, oh, gee, it's it's the that's what I love about uh, and not just Andrews, but uh, that's what I love about a good Aussie burger from from a a independent purveyor of burgers um, because that bun is quite a big bun, you know. I remember as a kid the, the two-handed joy of grabbing a burger like that, and it still is a two-handed it still is a two-handed um, assignment. Oh, absolutely. Unless, well, even, even Joel Garner would have to use one and a half at the very least. Um, yeah, Stuart Lowe, Stuart Lowe uses two. 
Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Do you know, once on the Sunday Age, we actually took a photo of Stuart Lowe holding with the, egg uh, with the eggs in his hand. No, no, we didn't get the eggs in his hand. We took a uh, shot of his hand and actually published it on the back page, life-size, and uh, only just fitted on the page. Um, speaking of which, no, absolutely not speaking of that at all, but uh, uh, it just made home renovations pop into my head. It made, I remember they did the same thing with Ian Thorpe's appendage, a life-size copy of that. He's like size 18 feet or something. They're enormous. Yeah, it was, uh, that, that was only in the broad, old broadsheet newspapers. Yeah, that's right. Only the age could publish it. <laughs> oh, they were hard to read, the broadsheet, but they were good. Okay. You know what's not hard? That's being locked down in a beautiful Nick's Bar Tells West Point property's home. Well, it's certainly easier than if you're not. How about on a cold morning, those coils that heat the floor automatically set to a thermometer? You just wake up, and as soon as you put your feet on the slate floors, it's warm. Of course, you wouldn't want that thing to go haywire, and you wake up and you deep fry or fry your feet. But no, not with West Point Properties. It's all set and forget modern, but with an absolute touch of artistic flair. Love his work. Love it. West Point Properties, Nick Spartel. Uh, wonderful sponsors. That could be the longest couple of plugs we've ever done. Never say you don't get uh, bang for your buck when you sponsor our show. We have got some games to talk about. We're going to do that now, finally. On Footyology, wrap around. The final home and away round kicked off on Thursday evening at Metricon Stadium with North Melbourne. Uh, concluding a very disappointing year indeed. Up against West Coast, still hopeful of grabbing a top four spot. In the end, it was a 15-point victory to the Eagles in a very dour affair, uh, one in which the Eagles certainly didn't start very well. In fact, they were held scoreless in the first quarter and North Melbourne, an inaccurate 2-4, may have led by more. But the Eagles came good when it mattered and wore the ruse down. Three goals to just two behinds in the second term. A goal each in the third and then three goals to one in the final term. The final scores, 7-7-49 West Coast. Defeated North Melbourne, 4-10-34. The goal kickers, three goals to Oscar Allen. Very promising young key forward is Oscar Allen. Two goals to Liam Ryan, who was the the silk among the uh, nylon in this game. Singles to Darling and Ainsworth. And just four single goal kickers to the Ruse. Higgins, Larky, Zerha and Anderson. Uh, probably the headline, uh, another injury concern coming out of this game for the Eagles. Another big name, Josh Kennedy, an ankle injury. Um, as we record this, we're not sure how serious that is. Obviously, he has a week to uh, an extra week to uh, get over it. But uh, boy, they're already definitely without Elliot Yo. In fact, some talk his season is effectively already over. Uh, Jeremy McGovern, touch and go whether he's going to get to the line. 
and a few others besides. Uh, and of course, the Eagles ended up missing out on that double chance. So whilst they do get a home final first week of the finals, it's sudden death from here on in for them. And for North Melbourne, well, that final sign probably couldn't come soon enough in the finish. And uh, boy, they reacted pretty savagely too, cutting 11 players off their list about 10 seconds after that final siren rang. So uh, that's any indication of how the uh, also-rans are going to be treating the um, off-season. It's going to be the killing fields out there. What would you make of this game, Fawny? Yeah, look, there was a little bit of fight early from North Melbourne, more than we've seen from them in recent weeks. But it was Liam Ryan who was the wick that, well, that ignited some sort of response. And it didn't take a lot, really, for West Coast to put a few goals on the board and allay any fears that they might be uh, finishing the season with a loss to one of the most mediocre teams in the competition. Nick Natanui really just sort of sauntered around. He wasn't all that invested in the game. And as you pointed out, the big story is Josh Kennedy. We wait to see how he, well, not how he pulls up now, how he recovers. And that will be uh, his recuperative power was put to the test. It's interesting with the one week off, Obviously, he's got an injury that would have given him no chance whatsoever ever under normal circumstances. And that makes this controversial. It makes it controversial as it did when the Bulldogs won that famous flag in 2016 with players coming back for the first week of the finals that simply would not have fronted up the week previous. And Against yeah, whom? Against West Coast. West Coast. Exactly. Right. So the wheel has turned. Yeah, and it's, I'm not saying that it favours one team, but it, uh, more than any other prior to uh, you know, the season being played. But it will favour teams once the season is over. It's a, it's a, a lottery. And, you know, that odd-shaped ball provides enough mystery for me, Roman, the way it bounces. I don't think we need to put other factors that are beyond the control of a football team into the season. So... I'm not, I'm not a fan. Now, no, I'm not as, a fan either. As for the West Coast Eagles, they certainly looked their best this year in Perth. They head back there for this final. It's all about not only which players are available, but also how fit they are, whether they're not going to maybe force some onto the life raft when really uh, they don't, would normally be fit for a final. It's going to be an interesting scenario, but maybe uh, the home ground will overcome it. Uh, yeah, I mean, at their best, they're good, aren't they? But it's all about getting the band together, and it looks like they might have just... This year just might be one that doesn't click for them. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think they were my tip to be in the grand final, but... You know, that was probably predicated on a couple of home finals and then having to win the big one at the MCG. Well, clearly that's not going to happen. They get one home final, but, you know, then they're going to have to play three in, well, who knows, Queens, well, most likely Queensland, be it the Gabba or, or Metricon. Um, the injuries, you know, you've still got Luke Shuey, hasn't played for a while. 
Jamie Cripps not injured, but hasn't played for a while. Um, and uh, uh, Jack Redden's another one. You know, so you get to a point, I think, where you're looking at if you've got that many top liners out of a lineup for that period of time, regardless of how much recovery time you've got, you know, the odds are stacked against you. I mean, West Coast fans will argue that the odds were stacked against them in 2018 without Nat Nui, um, without Shepard. Um, who was a third member of, of that side they were missing? God, what's happened to my memory? There was another... Co- oh, Gaff, Andrew Gaff, injured. Um, but Gaffy, this yeah, is... This is a, a heavier toll. Sorry, suspended, yeah. This is a heavier toll even than that. So, you know, all things being equal, I think definitely good enough. I just think the the dice stack too heavily against them. Quick word on uh, North Melbourne. Um, now, clearly, this is absolute rebuild time. Um, you know, I think they've done reasonably well with some of the players, or most of the players they've picked up from other clubs. Uh, they clearly feel they haven't done as well more recently with um, Jasper Pittard being one of the players they've given the flick to already. Uh, Magic Dor, but sad to see him go. Uh, Jamie McMillan, Ma- a vet- veteran. Yeah, Marley Williams, another uh, recent recruit. Marley Williams, yes. So, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely drawn a line in the sand there and we're uh, certainly about to see a new era at North. Um, uh, I wonder if it's going to be a, a longish few years for them. You know, it's interesting. There's sort of talk that Essendon with the succession plan won't have a real noticeable difference between Rutten and Worsold. To tell you what, there's a difference now that Ruth Shaw's sort of got the keys to the... Um, uh, it's not a Ferrari. Got the keys to the ute. Uh, and he sat there, probably watched the side for a year, but we can see that there are clearly players that he does not favour. Oh, Pittard, Pittard could, is the sort of bloke that could have played 17 games under another coach and been loved. But he mm. just doesn't warm to him, does he? No, he so, definitely doesn't. Uh, I'm not sure he warms to Ben Brown either, and uh, we may well see him bob up elsewhere. You never would have thought that was a remote possibility 12 months ago. So, uh, season over for North Melbourne. They finish 17th on the ladder with just three wins. Pretty dismal stuff from the Roos. And the Eagles, at least, get to play finals. That was Thursday evening. Uh, Let's talk about Friday night. A big game at the Gabba on Friday evening. Saw St Kilda taking on GWS St Kilda needing to win to officially confirm its spot in a first final series since 2011. GWS, last year's runner-up, needing to win and wins handsomely just to have any chance at all of being a finalist again for a fifth season in a row. Well, they missed out and uh, missed out big time because St Kilda gave them an absolute pantsing 52 points was the margin in the end. The Saints, 12 goals, 10, 82, defeating the hapless GWS, just three goals, 12, 30 points. And uh, as they went goalless for a whole half in two games late last year, so history did repeat itself in the final game of 2020. A pretty miserable season for a side that played off for a premiership, just 12 or so months ago. The goal kickers, two goals to Loney, 
Two goals to steal, singles to Membry, Battle, Hill, Butler, Marshall, Billings, King and Ryder. Ten individual goal kickers for the Saints. And for the Giants, Lloyd, Riccardi and Green. Uh, I'll let you take lead on this one, Finey. Well, it was a sort of, well, not even a nervous start by St Kilda. It was a stuttering start by the Saints. And even though they led a quarter time, three goals, uh, maybe, what was it, 3-1 to 1-5 or something thereabouts. 3-3 three, three to 1-5. Uh, I thought West GWS had the better of the first quarter. They seemed, they'd won more inside 50, but they played the game more in their half than the St Kilda half. St Kilda was just a little bit more lively at the opportunities that were handed to them and sort of profited from some pretty poor goal kicking because there were plenty of chances for GWS. Second quarter, St Kilda hopped out, but GWS actually got their second last and last goals for the game in quick succession, including a beauty to Toby Green. And they looked like they were up and about and some, for some reason, so endeth the lesson. And it, Certainly ended after half time. They were, uh, by the end, walking to their, you know, doing their business at walking pace. I'll deal with GWS first. There are scores of concerning issues about the team, a side that has fallen out of the eight after making a grand final. And whilst that has happened before, and we note that it happened as recently as to Adelaide. And, you know, it's happened to other teams. But this is a team with a trajectory that had been written for them by the people that run the AFL at the time. Fitzpatrick and Dimitri have that sort of, um, we've got a vision and are going to make it happen type of leadership ethos. And their trajectory was certainly make a grand final, then win two of the next three or something, not fall off the face of the earth and not have a number of players that seemingly want outski. So, grave concerns there. Canilio brought back for the game. Played okay. Played all right. But the fact their captain was dropped the week before is a worry. Josh Kelly, what is the story there? Is it the body? Is it the mind? Is it a combination thereof? As for the Saints, well, it's good for St Kilda that they don't limp into the finals. Because the last month, not last month, we don't have months anymore, do we, Rowan, in football? Last batch of matches, uh, they started, and who knows whether they've still got it, developed a very bad habit of losing close games. And uh, had they lost another one to GWS, even if they made the finals, which they still could have, it would have been limping. But this was better. Jack Steele kept off a great home and away season, could well get all Australian honours. Paddy Ryder and Marshall worked again well in the ruck. Dougal Howard has had a good season. Brad Hill certainly played his best game in the last best games in the last four. Max King is at the moment a little bit like truffles or asparagus or Brussels sprouts. He's an acquired taste, but he's bringing the ball to ground. And if you're not a sort of basic, you're a full forward show me the marks, kick me the goals type of supporter. You'll appreciate what he adds to the mix. So they can look forward to taking on either the, as we sit here tonight, the doggies or the pies with some, you know, a, a, a spring in their step. And I think that was best exemplified with how the whole 
team and coaching staff and even the stationary bicycle rowing that they used to keep players fit on the sidelines all took part in the singing of the club song. So I think that shows that they're pretty happy to be where they haven't been for nine years. Well, one thing I would say, I mean, I can't really add anything at all. It's a very comprehensive summary of the game. You've left me nothing. But I will say this. I think uh, in terms of picking up a batch of recruits, season recruits from other clubs, this has been uh, as good an example as that as I can remember. I mean, there were five, weren't there? Ryder, Hill, Howard, Butler and Jones. And every single one of them, has played an important part, not always at the same time, but, uh, you know, Butler, terrific earlier in the season. Ryder took a while to get going, but has been great recently. Howard's been solid all year. Jones's been pretty solid all year, and I think Hill is coming good at the right time. They've definitely made them a more potent uh, attacking side. They're very good to watch. And um, kudos to Brett Radden, too, absolutely making the most of a a second chance at uh, senior coaching. The players clearly enjoy playing for him. Why wouldn't they? They, you know, they play a good brand of footy that's fun to play. I think too many coaches sort of forget about the importance of that. They look like a side that enjoys playing footy and they're certainly getting a taste for success. And uh, you could say exactly the opposite about their opposition. Uh, you know, I look at GWS at their best. Yeah, so- what, what do you make of, well, I call them one of two of the AFL's test tube babies. Not, not just where they are, but where, where does the AFL, does the AFL now have to intervene again to get this team back up there? No. No, they can't. It's way too early for that. And if they did, it would be the closest thing to, you know, rigging a competition I've ever seen. I mean, they've just missed out in finals. They haven't gone at the bottom of the ladder for three years. What I was going to say was, when they were playing their best football back in 2016, I think they were a better team in 2016 than they were last year, even when they got to the grand final. It was it was an attacking, daring, positive, hard-running brand of footy. I think they've lost all that. They often look like uh, they don't know how they're trying to play. Um, you know, they and I think it's made their attack lose its potency. You know, the, the forwards really click as a group. I think that was an issue this year. Cameron had an ordinary year. Himmelberg seemed to go backwards. Finlayson just, you know, the whole thing was sort of held together by Toby Green. So they're becoming more reliant on individuals. Uh, I don't think they've had quite the same level of talent pushing through over the past couple of years. And yes, they've picked up some sort of blue collar working types, but um, the whole thing just doesn't seem to gel for me as seamlessly as the really good sides in the comp. And I think that was the way they played all year. And they've got some serious work to do over summer with the recently reappointed Leon Cameron as coach. So that's it for the Giants. However, the Saints live on and get to play finals for the first time since 2000. And 11. I have a lot of people wishing them well, no doubt about that. All right. Rowan, will GWS suffer? And I think teams like GWS and Gold Coast do suffer because they have a following and a membership that is, and I'm not talking about the numbers, but that is not invested. Like they weren't, you know, we were born with colours running through our vein one way or another. It's a huge part of our lives. But the fans of GWS and Gold Coast 
um, are very different. And, you know, I just think a Victorian team or even, you know, West Coast Adelaide, would there be some blood spilt at the end of this season? And, you know, very seamlessly and, and without any um, sort of reaction from the fans, here we've got Leon Cameron going around again. And I just think a Victorian team, uh, there'd be some ructions. And, and that's probably a good thing. I've, I've accused Melbourne of not having, Melbourne supporters of not having that same, same uh, connection with their club and the club suffering as a result. And I think GDWS might be even a worse case than Melbourne of that. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think you're spot on there, no doubt. Uh, all right, we're going to move on. That was Thursday, Friday evening. Let's talk about Saturday. First game on Saturday afternoon was Essendon, uh, finishing off what has been a car crash of a season up against Melbourne, still with finals aspirations. The Demons had to win. Uh, they were widely expected to win. And they did win. Uh, and for most of the part, did it pretty easily. Few uh, scares towards the end there where they sort of switched off in the last quarter, but uh, managed to wake up again before things got too out of hand and ended up winning this game by 19 points. 10 goals, 8, 68, defeating Essendon, 7, 7, 49. The goal kickers, Hunt with four, Bailey Fritch with three. Two to Neil Bourne and one to Petrarca for the Bombers. Three goals to James Stewart, who's been one of the few bright lights wrestling in the last few miserable weeks. Singles to Laverde, Stringer, Smith and Shield. This was another game where Essendon rarely in this season actually had a decent opening turn, led at quarter time by two points, and then promptly decided to switch off, having done all they needed to do. And Melbourne took complete charge in the second quarter with five goals, two to just two behinds. So 28-point lead at halftime. And up against Essendon uh, of the moment, that is more than enough. Thus approved, just one goal each in the third term. Essendon had a, a short burst of... Uh, or something, energy or motivation or whatever it is they haven't had nearly enough of prior to that. They found a little bit, got within about, uh, what was it, nine points, eight points. Um, a controversial centre bounce where uh, Christian Petrarca probably should have been pinged for holding the ball and wasn't. Melbourne got a goal on the fly from that and another one to cap it off and in the end won without too many problems. They then spent an anxious, uh, what was it, Bit more than 24 hours waiting to see whether they will be final. They would be finalists. Of course, we now know they won't be. So, um, look, they've shown signs this year. It certainly wasn't as miserable for them as 2019. But bottom line is no finals for a second year in a row after playing off in a preliminary final. Not good enough. I'm sure everyone connected with the Melbourne Footy Club would agree. Uh, well, not good enough. I'm sure. Anyone with half a brain at Essendon Football Club would agree they have been appalling, to be perfectly honest. And we mentioned uh, North Melbourne cutting a sway through the list not five seconds after the season had finished. Essendon, 
uh, today announcing their first list cuts. Uh, I think there might be a few more, but the first five players to be told they are not getting contracts for next year are Sean McKernan, Josh Begley, Kobe Much, Mitch Hibbard, and Noah Gown. So uh, none of them lining up for the red and black next year. Ben Rutten will be lining up in the coach's box, unaccompanied this time. Be interesting to see just how different the game plan is, if it's different at all. Uh, just where Essendon are at, because, uh, well, we've spoken, well, I've spoken enough about it in the last few weeks. I think they're in a pretty ordinary position, both on and off the field. Where do you think Melbourne are at, Finey? Um, they didn't deserve to make the finals on the football that they played for most of the year, Rowan. They had their moments, but overall, there's still gaps in that 22 or the 18 that take the field noticeably up forward with a tall target. Wiedemann showed something this year, so good to see that he's improved. They need another somebody to partner him. Uh, around him, there's some promise. I think Keziah Pickett's got a great future. Bailey Fritch is uh, a bit of a um, chocolate or boiled lollies man. I guess he plays that sort of position that can freeze you out or include you, depending on whether or not Melbourne's getting a lot of ball served to them. That midfield, it's too inside, isn't it? You know, you've got Viney and Oliver, really genuine inside mids. Petrarca's a ball. He can get his own ball. Uh, bright note for them was Ed Langdon. I think he finished the season, played the season really well. They wanted a wingman. They recruited, they said, two. One, ridiculously, Tomlinson's not a wingman. But the other one was, Ed Langdon was good. May finished the season very well. So there is certainly from a form perspective on some of their players, uh, a reason to hold their head up high. I just don't think that they've got the right mix of players yet to be a top eight team. But the ones that there, a lot of them do fill their positions quite admirably. I think they're just four or five spots on their list need um, attention. You know, if they could have a, a trading year like St Kilda had, as you pointed out at the end of last season, they could be off to the races, my friend. Yeah, they could. And I thought there were moments in this game, obviously, mostly in that second quarter. I mean, when they are able to get the ball on the outside, they can look um, pretty deft with it. I think uh, certainly still need some more run and, and carry on the outside and certainly need another key forward uh, to help out Sam Wiedemann. It'd be interesting to see what happens uh, with Tom McDonald and where he's used, whether they uh, try using him as a forward again, because I think that is uh, an experiment that was uh, paying dividends for a little while, but certainly not for uh, the last, well, last little time he has been out on the field and not injured, uh, which probably they want you to take. They want you to take Tom McDonald. They, they, they want uh, Essendon to trade Adam Sage for Tom McDonald. Yeah, don't don't. Say you, Finey. I just like to stress I'm in no way connected with the Essendon Football Club. Um, let me say that with some certainty at the moment. And on, on, on body language and and just uh, if you're trying to read something into a performance and, and the look in the eyes, I don't know whether Joe Danaher will have anything to do with the Essendon Football Club shortly either. 
No, well, uh, that was an interesting one too. Uh, ben Rutten did an interview in the Herald Sun, which was published on Saturday morning um, and talked about being, you know, a bit more uh, firm and, and uh, making some quick decisions on players. And he said that after the game as well. And um, I don't know, just, yeah, the rhetoric coming out of that club doesn't match the reality at the moment. And uh, Rutten's far from the only one guilty of that. It's a club that's very big on symbolism and PR speak and bullshit generally, but uh, not very big on delivering meaningful results in any way, shape or form. Does it sound like I'm pissed off with the club I support, Finey? Oh, I, can, I can understand it. You know, even though Essendon has had their travails in recent years, I think the football world has been pretty bullish about them. I get a sense next year when pundits put their ladders in prior to the season, everybody from the professionals to uh, fans that in office sweeps, Essendon's going to be near a lot of people's wooden spooner, which, of course, is something that Essendon fans living have probably not tasted. Yeah, well, let me stress too, uh, I wasn't bullish about them this year. I didn't have them anywhere near my top eight. And I think they've been guilty of overestimating their capabilities for a long time. It's about time a few people in that club had a massive reality check. All right, let's move on before I start shooting my mouth off uh, at people and in directions I shouldn't. Uh, The second game on Saturday was Adelaide Richmond. Let's talk about that one. Saturday Twilight at Adelaide Oval saw the Crows taking on Richmond. Uh, The stakes involved Richmond needing to win to make sure they earned the all-important double chance. Adelaide, with a win, would avoid the ignominy of its first ever wooden spoon in 30-odd seasons of AFL competition. They couldn't do it, though. Uh, Certainly started okay, the Crows, but uh, once Richmond clicked into gear, it was a no contest, and it ended in a very comfortable win to the Tigers by 44 points. Richmond, 12 goals, 5-77, defeating Adelaide, 4-9-33. The goals for the victors, 2 to Arts, 2 to Caddy, Two to Rewalt, singles to Martin, McIntosh, Chole, Rioli, Lambert and Castagna. For the Crows, two to Fogarty, singles to McAdam and Walker. Uh, Richmond had built up a pretty handy in the context of a relatively low scoring game, 22 point lead at halftime. Another four goals to one in the third term made it safe and um, pretty cruisy in that final term as the Tigers showed once again why they are such a force to be reckoned with, appearing to have moved into a higher gear at the perfect time of the season. Finey, is that how you saw it? Yeah, a little bit of party poopers, Richmond. They're that good in as much that I think... Oh, by the way, this was a noticeable and memorable game for being the only game, well, certainly, yeah, the only game since the understanding, you know, of what lay ahead, well, for the whole season, that actually had a crowd that reminded me of a football crowd. They had 25,000 people there Mm. on Saturday, which was the maximum allowed, but great that the Adelaide people turned up. 
I think appreciating the previous three weeks. But what did they say to Dorothy? You're not on. You're not in Kansas now, sweetheart. <laughs> and they, it's a different thing playing Carlton and playing GWS and um, whoever else they beat, as compared to what they faced Haw- up Hawthorne. against Hawthorne. That's right. Uh, up against Richmond. You know, they just, it, it wasn't a contest in terms of win loss. The most interesting thing about this game, Rowan, is, um, you know, the musical chairs that's being played at Richmond Selection. It, it, 24 does not go into 22. There are three players that will come into the Richmond side for the first final guaranteed from that team and three that have to miss out. So you can be assured and this is from the coach's mouth, that Tom Lynch, Shy Bolton and Dion Prestia will be in that first team in the first week of the finals. Out of that side goes Mudlaw Troll, I would think, Jack Ross, I would think, and then maybe four or five players, you know, nervously away, nervously away. It's a nice problem to have. I'll tell you one bloke who definitely won't be out of the team because, again, fulfilling that role of a younger, lesser light coming in and making a senior spot his own, Jake Arts. Uh, He has been terrific for them and really added something to the mix. And has a knack of kicking important goals and lifting for the important stuff, which really... Makes him look like a finals footballer, and he also seems to be a, a look. He, you know, he he didn't come into that system as a baby. He had to work hard through the VFL. But does he look like an on-field leader to you? He looks to me to be one of their real voices out there, and really part of whether a formal leadership group or some some cabal that talks to players during the game. And I love that. I love that it's not based on seniority of games played. It's just his personality really makes him a get-around sort of guy. Yeah, look, it's um, I'm just having a look down the lineup and thinking, well, who would be that? I mean, I, I think even Chole would be stiff not to play. I really like Chole and I'd love to see him part of uh, a Richmond Premiership. But probably, you know, in terms of how they want to set up, you, you, you're quite right. You know, funnily enough, one guy who might be really vulnerable is the um, the fairy tale story of last year's grand final, Mr. Pickett. Jack oh, Mr. Pickett. They, um, yeah, Jack Graham's more fairy tale story this year. Yeah, I, I, I think they have to play Pickett, but he's uh, the talk is Graham, Pickett, Rioli. Those oh, I in couldn't the, drop. The, couldn't drop Rioli. Rioli's in really good form. Yeah, I'm saying, well, that's the, you know, those with their finger on the pulse say McIntosh is a, a certain starter. Yeah, he's, no, he's had a good oh, season. Of course, Caddy. Um, you know, it, it's hard to drop a guy you bring back. And does well. Good, <laughs> look good. Yeah. Has, you know, has had, he's kicked 48 goals in a season, Rowan. How mm. many players are going to be doing that in the future? But he did go off with a bit of an injury and, you know, Told the medico, put me straight back on, mate. So, body wise, maybe there is um, an element of risk there, or, or pace wise. I tell you, who came back brilliantly? Didn't Edwards look good? Mm, yeah, he did. He did look very good. 
Um, all right, well, we're going to be talking plenty about Richmond uh, over the next month or so. Uh, quick talk about Adelaide's performance. Look, I mean, they lost by 44 points, but I don't think they were humiliated. You know, they continued to have a crack. Uh, they, they end up, you know, you, you were... I'm not having a go at you specifically here, but you were saying they cannot win a game. Well, they won three games in a row. You know, their last month of a season was just so much better than what had come before. But to be honest, I felt for most of this season, like they weren't that bad. We've seen a lot of worse teams than they have. And that was even whilst they were winless. And I think the pluses out of this year for them have been considerable. You know, they've really discovered some players. I think Scholl, um, I really like Schoenberg. You know, he's a little bundle of energy. McAdam looks exciting. Um, you know, Keys began to do some pretty good run with roles. You know, we saw some of the senior players rediscover a bit of form, I think. Um, Stengel, he's exciting for them. Himmelberg looks like he could be a, a decent key forward prospect. So, um, oh, it's been a tough year for Matthew Nix, but I think um, if you're an Adelaide supporter, you'd be so much more optimistic about next season than you would have been a month ago. It's not funny. So, uh, I reckon they've finished off reasonably well. And, uh, yeah, they didn't finish with a win, but uh, I don't think they they were embarrassed by any stretch. Yeah, I, I would be very cautious, and I think Matthew Nix is over this, at um, putting too much stock into that late-season revival. Um, you know, it's I'm not saying it's a false dawn, but it was quite clear that he was sort of sitting back watching this team with plans to uh, sweep a broom and, and make some cuts. And those three wins should not deter him. The big question is, obviously, Taylor Walker, what to do with him next season. You know, on face value, that young forward line would walk taller with Taylor Walker in the team, regardless of his output. But they've got to face the facts. They're not going to be playing any finals or assaulting any top fours with Taylor Walker in the team long term. So do you cut him adrift now and learn to play without him or do you take him with you on the early part of the journey? And he'll have that to answer about a few players. Interesting time the next few weeks at Adelaide. No doubt about that. Uh, all right, one game remaining on the Saturday menu. Let's talk about that one. Saturday evening at the Gabba, Brisbane needing to win to maintain hopes of uh, taking out the minor premiership for the first time in the club's history. Yes, even when they won three in a row, never finished on top of the ladder. Uh, Carlton, of course, already out of the finals equation, but hoping to summon uh, one last hurrah for the retiring fantastic servant of the Carlton Football Club, Cade Simpson. Uh, it's been a long, long career and a very, very good career hoping to give something approaching their best for him to send him off in style. Uh, well, they did for a little while. They started off okay. They wed at quarter time. But once again, the curse of conceding a run of goals without reply struck the Blues. They've certainly got some work to do on that front. Just one behind in the second term, whilst the Lions banged on five goals, three uh, which made the difference. The best part of five goals at the long break. And uh, that 
edge was, uh, well, it was chipped into a bit by the Blues in the last quarter, but it never really looked like they were going to overhaul the deficit. And in the end, Brisbane emerged 17-point winners, 11 goals, 12-78, defeating the Blues, very accurate, 10 goals, 1-61. The goal kickers, 2 to McCarthy, 2 to Rayner, 2 to Robinson, pretty impressive, I thought, Robinson. Two to Rich, singles to Coleman, like him too, Cameron and Hipwood. For the Blues, three to Harry Mackay, certainly a, uh, a big plus for them this year. And singles the rest, Casbolt, Kerno, Gibbons, Murphy, Nunes, Simpson and Williamson. Um, let's talk about Lions first, Finey. Uh, they go into this final series in pretty reasonable form. Good uh, tune-up for them. They uh, managed to shrug off the shocking inaccuracy, which has dogged so many of their performances this year. Great games from Daniel Rich off halfback. Boy, he was uh, very potent for them. Lockie Neal might have picked up uh, the winning Brownlow votes in this game. Brandon Starsevich, a real no fight. If, if, the, if the umpires have fair income, he does not get a vote. Seriously. All right, can you let me go through the best before you say that? That's okay. I'm just saying, you you provocatively said that uh, this could seal the Brownlow for him, and I'm saying no way on earth. All if right, they're well, you, well, you should know by players. now to never anticipate how the umpires are going to award votes. Um, Archie, pretty decent for them too. Robinson, Zorko for the Blues. Uh, sort of a, a touch of sameness about it. Really good in patches, dangerous in patches, but uh, boy, they really do have trouble arresting an opposing side's momentum when they're able to get on a roll. How do you see it? Well, first of all, I'll explain why Lockheed Neal doesn't get a vote. Archie was brilliant. Eight intercept marks, eight contested intercept marks, Five of them in the pouring rain. And by the way, note to self AFL, all right, you're having a grand final there at night in October in this extraordinary season. If this is the weather in September, for goodness sake, don't have any finals at night there. It, it's been terrible, the weather. And it poured down. His marking was sensational. Daniel Rich, I think he had the same similar possession number to... Lockie Neal, but he kicked two magnificent goals. What a beautiful kick that little lion is. Lion by name, lion by team, and he looks a little bit like a lion now. He and, does look like a lion. And Sam Walsh, now, you know, I was critical of him early in the season. Now, he played a great game and really gave them some momentum at the end, and you could see he cared so much about it, whether it was Cade Simpson, but he and Mackay in the last quarter, that's why Carlton supporters should be happy. You know why Brisbane supporters should be happy, Rowan? A why? very important... Well, huge development in this game. Huge. Stephen Martin was good. He was competitive. And they need him to play. Because McInerney's a dangerous forward. Very good player, McInerney. Um, but he can't ruck all day and be a dangerous forward. And there's no ruck support at Brisbane. Well, obviously, you know, I mean, they, they tried... Archie Smith, Eagles played a few games. No, the return of Stephen Martin is very important for them. And if they can just get Andrews back, I, I know he's unlikely for the first final. If they can 
if they can get a win in that first final run, they're up and running. Because I think Martin, and, and as you pointed out, Coleman, a great late-season inclusions. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's got something really special. I've I liked him from the moment he's come into that side. I know Essendon were pretty keen to get him and just got... Uh, I think had a, uh, he was an academy player and they bid for him and the bid got matched by Brisbane. So they certainly knew he was worth hanging on to. And he's definitely yeah, added they're a... called Coleman, Essendon should try and get, regardless yeah, well, of... Yeah, the name, the name certainly works. Um, but he's given them an extra dimension, I think. So there's a few strings to their bow. Why wouldn't they think about throwing Hipwood into the ruck as a relief ruckman? Because he's not a ruckman. Well, he, he can't ruck. How do we and he's know? an important forward, Rowan. He's their yeah. most important forward. Yeah, is he their most important forward? I would have thought Charlie Cameron was. Oh, yeah. There's a target. That's their target. That's their go-to man. Yeah. Vitally important. Yeah. You need somebody to kick the ball to. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's and he's covering the ground well. Yeah, I, I suspect the first final is, is probably going to tell the tale with what happens with Brisbane. Probably ditto Port Adelaide. Who do you think's a better pre- premiership chance, Port Adelaide or Brisbane? Uh, Port Adelaide, except for the fact that the grand final's at the Gabba. So, to me, realistically, the best premiership chance out of them is Brisbane. But Port Adelaide's a more likely chance to make that grand final. Does that make sense? It does. They're more likely to lose it. Whereas if Brisbane do lob there, it, you know, it's the gabber for goodness sake. Yeah, I just think Port narrowly. I just, I think they're midfield sort of, it's a, it's a finals-like midfield, I think. Anyway, we can have that discussion another time. In the end, though, uh, Brisbane getting the job done securing uh, at the worst a top two finish and the all-important home final, as you just spoke of. And perhaps if Port Adelaide stumbles in the last game on the home and away calendar, a first ever minor premiership for the Blues. The season's over. We will talk about them in an upcoming episode of the Footyology podcast. But now we're going to talk about the Sunday games. Sunday afternoon and the first game on the card at Adelaide Oval was Hawthorne playing Gold Coast. We're not sort of blanching at those um, match descriptions anymore after a whole season of this. Lovely day in Adelaide for this game and a lovely occasion for Hawthorne who after a miserable uh, season and a particularly miserable last couple of months turned it on. Uh, and you know, Fanny, you've got a lot of faith in the pride of the Hawthorne Football Club, and that was certainly on display as they did the right thing to honour two retiring greats of the club, I think it's fair to call them, both having played in three premierships. I speak of the skipper, Ben Stratton, and the dynamic little forward pocket, Paul Puopolo. And uh, it was party time for the Hawks and certainly got off to a bang. A seven-goal opening turn. The game almost put to bed by that first break. And uh, after that, pretty much did as they pleased. Gold Coast did uh, find a little bit of stability after that uh, opening bombardment. But the Hawks matched them goal for goal. In fact, always managed to kick a couple more 
and in the end, ran out 51-point victors. The goal kickers, four to Jack Gunston, three to Puopolo in his last game, two to O'Brien, two to Bruce, two to Lewis, singles to Shields, Moore, Burgoyne and Stratton. For the Suns, pretty uh, ordinary ending to the season for them. Three to Sexton, singles to Farrah, King, Rankin, Day and Greenwood. And funnily enough, Finey in a a miserable old year for the Hawks. Uh, boy, they probably saved their best performance of the year till the last. And um, some real pluses here too. They've had a few players put their hands up of late. Uh, Will Day's been consistent, one of them. But just in recent weeks, I think Cousins has been pretty impressive for them. And today, uh, Moore. I thought Moore really uh, was a terrific accumulator for them and gave them a bit of zip around the contest. Uh, Gunston found some really good form and looked very dangerous. And uh, O'Brien took a couple of uh, really nice marks too. So, look, um, they'll certainly be disappointed to have the season they've had, but uh, not without hopes of uh, doing something next year. At the very worst, being competitive, as you'd always expect of the Hawks. And the Suns, well, we've talked a lot about their improvement, but... uh, Geez, it hasn't ended up really being reflected in terms of wins and losses, and uh, that has to be the next step for them. They were pretty disappointing, didn't you think? Yeah, look, except for when I say each week, the Rowell asterisk, and look, we've got to move on. Teams have injuries. They finish marginally better than the symbolic way they exited the last two seasons. Only marginally, Rowan. You know, one of the competition's uh, lesser teams, Hawthorne, play pin the tail on the donkey with them today. They, you know, they were party tricks. That Hawthorne's not good enough to do that to anybody. Goldcoast should not allow themselves to be the fools at this farewell party, but they were. You know, Ben Stratton's kicked a goal. What does that make for his career? Two or three? Uh, you know, two and uh, ten, uh, ten years apart. Yeah, so some Gold Coast are weak enough that you can have some Harlem Globetrotter pre-organised set play goals for retiring champions or retiring captains. Embarrassing, Gold Coast, seriously. Actually, actually just on that, that that was particularly embarrassing, wasn't it? Because Puopolo passed the ball to Gunston. Stratton had gone forward. It was patently obvious they were going to try and get him a goal, and yet he still managed to find enough space to take the mark. Yeah, do they not know that... Uh, I wonder whether or not some of their players thought, oh, well, he's retiring, let him have the goal. Do they not know that pride in your jumper, pride in your team, would absolutely mean that you don't be party to that? Have a look at the team they were playing, Hawthorne. Were Hawthorne party to letting Favola kick 100 goals? I think not. But then again, Hawthorne and Gold Coast live at polar opposite ends of the football world in terms of club and and um, culture. That's just the way it is. It was nice to see, and the fact the game was in Adelaide, it was nice to see all the Puopolos, or is it Puopolo? I don't know, in the crowd. There were a lot of them. His entire clan turned up from various parts of South Australia to bid him a fond farewell. 
And let's be honest, at the height of his powers, he was an amazing um, small pressure forward with Cyril Rioli that won them premierships. Great career for a, a late, a mature recruit brought from South Australia where he was a back pocket of not great renown. And he leaves a triple premiership Hawthorne star. Yeah, no, it's a good call. He, uh, I reckon they got, you know, three times the, the player they thought they'd recruited initially. And um, he's he's been absolutely terrific for them. So, well done, uh, Mr. Puopolo. Um, Is he a sort of living embodiment of the genius of Alistair Clarkson? Uh, oh, and their recruiting staff. I don't, you know, I don't think um, it would have been Clarkson. But what he did with own. him. But what he did, you know, he, he re... Not reinvented. They saw something in him, and he was brilliantly used at a, you know, completely other end of the ground to where he'd ever played before. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, that's uh, that's what makes Clarko such a great coach. Um, all right, uh, we will talk about the Suns uh, and the Hawks in our um, review of the clubs that didn't make the finals and details of that soon, but. There are another two games on Sunday. Let's talk about the middle of those three. Well, this is a cracking game, as it turned out, at Metricon Stadium, played between Geelong and Sydney. The Cats needing to win to get a double chance for remarkably an 11th time in the last 14 seasons. What a phenomenally consistent team they have been for a long time now. Sydney... Obviously, season over for the Swans, but one in which they've emerged with plenty of promise for the future. And they'll probably feel that even more so after this game because they pushed Geelong every inch and every second of the way. In fact, an argument that this game was uh, probably in the balance until the penultimate kick of the match. Uh, Dramatic scenes with... uh, a snap from James Rowbottom, which may have been on target and produced the winning goal smothered by Mark Blitzarves. The Cats prevailed in the finish by just six points, 10-9-69 to the Swans, 9-9-63. The goals, three to Patrick Dangerfield, who was having a dirty day until he was swung forward and basically ended up being the difference Two to Tom Hawkins, two to Parfit, singles to Ablett, Guthrie and Tui for the Swans. Two to McInerney, two to Papley and a number of points could have ended up with a fistful of goals. Singles to Aaliyah, Blakey, Dawson, Kennedy and Reid. Well, fair to say, Finey, uh, the Cats got the fright of their lives. Sydney burst out of the blocks with three goals in the first six minutes of this game to Aaliyah, Blakey and Dawson. They were all over the Cats, but Geelong managed to gradually work their way back into the game and got the deficit back to uh, just a goal and a half by a very, very enter- end of a very entertaining first quarter. Nine goals kicked in that first term just as well because there were no goals kicked in the second quarter. How predictable is that these days, that when there's actually a bit of scoring going on, there won't be in the quarter which uh, follows. But the Cats getting the game back on their terms and then gradually edging their way in front, still trailing 
by two points at the final change. But uh, that man, Dangerfield, kicked three goals in a row, the last of the third quarter, the first two in the last term. Uh, that gave the Cats a nine-point lead. Uh, another goal to Brandon Parfit. Before the Swans gave it one last tilt, Papley goal. And McInerney, who's been another good discovery for the Swans, uh, kicked a goal to make it six points of difference with 19 seconds left on the clock. The Swans, one last attack. Like I said, that snap from row bottom, very uh, effectively smothered by Blitzars. And the game was won. And with it, another double chance. Fair to say, though, after that close shave and being uh, pretty summarily dismissed by Richmond in the previous outing, this isn't a Geelong going into a final series in the sort of tip-top condition they look to be in. Only a couple of weeks before, Mark. No, and they will have to evaluate, even though they... I heard Chris Scott after the game being um, very bullish about the returns of Ablett and Selwood. Ablett, uh, 14 or 15 touches and a goal. And I think that, especially given that they know that they've got to get through Richmond probably to win a grand final, and they failed pretty dismally last game, Ablett in that forward line, and even Dangerfield up there, provides a, a, an alternative way of somehow getting the better of Richmond. So Ablett is good. Um, Selwood needed the run, that's for sure, but he's part of that team, and that's good for him. Rowan, as president of... I've, I've formed a terrorist group called Spizgo. What does that stand for? Stop pretending it's still game on. Because as you know, I hate when commentators do that. So the Spizgo terrorist group, which plans to take out a few commentators, um, was not well served today. Because you know what, mate? With one minute and three seconds to go on the clock, when a player, that is Brian Myers, takes a mark 35 metres out on little angle, only a Spizgo target for execution would think it's still game on. All he had to do was kick a point. He hit the out of, hit the behind post. 39 seconds, they're two goals down on the behind post at the wrong end of the ground. And Lee Darcy is putting himself as a real likely terrorist target. But he was right, mate. He called it, he actually called brilliantly. And it happened. They went down the ground. That was a beautiful goal by McInerney. And you, you said it well, row bottom, your man. Now, we can't tell. We weren't at the game. And you'd like to think a top four team defending a goal that uh, with 19 seconds on the clock had the wherewithal to have somebody behind the play in the golf square. I didn't see it. Are you telling me if that cleared blitz has, not one Geelong player was back on the goal line to defend? No, they... they, they yeah, they would have been, but he he hit it pretty flush, I reckon. I reckon it might have got the distance. Well, pure speculation on my part and 100,000 other people <laughs> yeah. wanted that I think, to be I think the it case. Got because it was a pretty low kick. But that's not the point. The point is, they they were very good. They're good to watch. And I'll tell you what, um, why wouldn't a Sydney supporter or the club be very optimistic about next year? Don't worry about Franklin or Dan Hur. Just put... Rampy up one end and Heaney down the other end. 
and you've got a delightful team. McCartan is a great backman. Oh, do you like him or what? Yeah. How good is he in the back line? No, I mean, well, um, this, this is the great irony of, or not irony, this is the great, uh, I guess, contradiction of what the black and white stats will tell us because they finished 16th on the ladder with only five wins. And yet um, it's one of the most positive five win seasons I can remember a club turning in. There's pluses all over the place for them. Spot on. Look, uh, the season finished off well for them. Uh, the Dockers, not so much this round. Adelaide, not so much this round. But I, to me, especially with who they've got out and the culture, well, not the culture, and the prehistory in the last 20, 25 years, just as you rightly respect that Hawthorne culture and how quickly it helps a team like Hawthorne rebuild and rebound, Sydney is in the same cut from the same cloth, are they not? So, yeah, I, I, I tell you what, there's two teams that play in, in uh, Sydney. One of them finished with five wins. The other one was playing for a spot in the finals. Oh, I, I couldn't be more positive about saying I know which one will finish on top of each other next year. Sydney's just a better team than GWS now and into the future. Yeah, no, it's a, I reckon it's a fair call. Um, it'll be a, a very upbeat off-season for the Swans in Kink. Geelong, meanwhile, a week off to uh, rest up some bodies. It'll be interesting to see what they do selection-wise. Uh, there's certainly a school of thought uh, among some seasoned Geelong watchers that they're actually a, a better lineup without a few of those veterans in them. But uh, as we've said a number of times, it's going to be a pretty brave uh, selection group that toss out the likes of Selwood, Ablett, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They will play in their qualifying final, either Brisbane at the Gabba or Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Interesting too. They've had their issues in Adelaide, whereas I think they've been pretty good at the Gabba. So I reckon they will be barracking for a Collingwood win on Monday night. That is the second game on Sunday uh, let's talk about the match which finished off the weekend. And the weekend action finished off up in Cairns at Kazali's Stadium. The equation was as follows. Western Bulldogs won. They played finals. Fremantle won. Melbourne played finals. And Western Bulldogs didn't. In the end, a pretty comfortable win to the Doggies who saddle up again in a final series. They ran out 30-point winners, 11 goals, 8-74, 2 Fremantle, 6-8-44, gradually working their way on top after a very even first quarter. The goals, only one multiple goal kicker for the victors. That was English, who kicked two singles to Wallace, Johannesson, Norton, Bruce Lipinski, Bailey Smith, Hunter, Daniel... Oh, sorry. Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet. Hunter, Daniel and Bontempelli. For the Dockers, two to five singles to Darcy, Schultz... No, sorry. Darcy, Croden, Schultz and Hogan. Clink could only register a behind. I'm never going to get tired of those two names playing for the same side. Uh, of course, the big worry for the Doggies uh, is on the injury front. Um, key forward, Aaron Norton, uh, nasty head clash 
he was taken off to hospital for scans and unfortunately they revealed a fractured cheekbone. Sounds nasty, but the club actually hopeful that he, with that week off, might be able to play in that elimination final. I'll certainly be waiting pretty anxiously on his recovery because an absolutely crucial part of that forward equation, I think most people would agree. Well, if he does play Rowan and they play St Kilda, which is a real chance, he's a real chance of lighting up on that well-known idiot Jake Carlisle. And given his form with injured players, do you reckon he might try and attend to his cheekbone? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that'd, go, that'd go down like a lead balloon. Uh, well, we'd certainly hope not, but uh, yeah, um, that would be the silliest thing Jake had done, and that is probably a fairly big call. Uh, the doggies play finals again. I guess uh, you know this could have been a, a closer contest than it was. Fine, it certainly didn't help a Dockers' cause by losing Michael Walters first with a foot injury, and then a late withdrawal Matt Taberner with a quad injury left them a little bit impotent up forward. They've had their own. They've had enough trouble scoring goals anyway and uh, certainly didn't end up with a big tally today. Six goals. Nonetheless, been a pretty decent year by the Dockers and the Bulldogs, well, they struggled a bit early, but uh, gee, on song, they are a difficult opponent. Certainly won't be limping into the finals nor being taken easily by whomever they play in their elimination final. Yeah, first for the Dockers, uh, definitely mission accomplished first season for Justin Longmuir. I think the players really like him. I think that he has certainly um, engineered a team that makes sense in terms of a forward line that functions well with Tabernacle. Got a good return from Tabernacle this year. Um, yeah, some real steps forward and, and how about the first season for Sarong? Um, fantastic first year. As your rising yeah. star winner, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's just been He really looks at not, not just at, at home in the AFL, but actually uh, better than that. He looks like a better midfielder already. Uh, I hope you know, we hear about the second year blues, whatever. His long-term future is elite. Um, who's the young Indigenous player that they've got that they've played up forward? Um, Henry, I think his name is. Look, he's got a way to go, but there's some excitement around him. Obviously, faith shown in Frederick. I haven't seen it as yet, but we wait to see. So it's not just a matter of some decent results in a very competitive uh, year because they, as you point out on a weekly basis, are, are rarely thrashed. They're in fact not thrashed this year at all. But they've also put some games into some real youngsters. So great year for Longmuir for the long-term development of that team who, I guess under Ross Lyon, uh, achieved more than they'd done ever before. They made a grand final, but they certainly weren't left in a position of great optimism in those last couple of years, were they? Where this is a team that plays nicely and has players that can play to boot. As far as the winning team, the Cats, oh, it's sort of, I've got a feeling that or they're the hitting dogs. into the finals. Like, pun? Uh, the dogs, the sorry. 
Yeah, sorry. Uh, I've got a feeling that they're heading... Uh, cats, dogs. I've got a feeling that they're heading into the finals uh, for the second year in a row. Now, last year, um, they were... Again, I've got a feeling that they're being overestimated a bit, Rowan. I really do. I you, great you, faith you, by you. No, I'm not... I'm talking about now, Rowan. I'm not talking at the start of the season. I mean, you know, I could put tips in and... You know, as far as I'm concerned, tips of whatever. Um, no, I'm not overrating them at all, Rowan. I'm talking now, in the current. I think that they've proven this year to have some issues. And, and it just hasn't come together as well as um, one would have thought possibly pre-season with Keith and Bruce finishing that team off nicely. I, I, and we wait to see the injury in Norton. And look, he has been held back this year, but... I thought Tim English was ready to step up as a, a top-grade ruckman. He's now playing forward quite effectively, so that's good, but not the sort of step up in the ruckman. Look, well done on the making the finals. It's not easy, and that box has been ticked. But I don't think that they're going to go very far in the finals. I really don't. I think a lot will depend on who they play, to be honest. Um, although well, having... it's either West Coast or St Kilda, so... You know, you say you think they'll lose to West Coast and beat St Kilda? Uh, no, well, St Kilda fixed them up, didn't they, from memory? Yeah, St Kilda have matched up well against them in the last couple of years. But that's yeah. not to say that they, they certainly prefer to stay in Queensland and play St Kilda than go over to that horrible deal that you get when you play West Coast of having to stay in your hotel room for seven days. No, I just think a, a lot you know, sort of depends on how well they're defended. You know, if, if the right matchups are chosen, e.g., I mean, Freo Free did a pretty decent lockdown job on Caleb Daniel today and, and they couldn't generate as much run off half-back. If they are allowed to start attacking off half-back, look out, because their running game is as damaging as anyone's. But they're probably a bit more one-dimensional, I think, than a lot of their finals rivals. I think that's the issue for them, that they've sort of got one trick in the kit bag and if you can shut that down there's not necessarily a lot else um but gee they're exciting if they get on the fly look out they are an exciting side to watch when they get that run and gun and and handball game going so uh they'll certainly be a finalist um whoever they play will have some issues in terms of their planning they won't be taken lightly whoever they come up against and for Fremantle, well, yet another team that uh, didn't make finals but um, can quite rightfully uh, go into the off-season with plenty of optimism, I think. And so, the finals arrive. Well, not before one last game. And that one last game will, in fact, determine every final. No final locked in until we see the result of this game and we're going to preview the game I'm talking about right now. On Footyology Previews with Punch. The final game of the 2020 home and away season, Monday evening at the Gabba, 7.15 Eastern Standard Time. It is Collingwood taking on Port Adelaide and ramifications not just for those two teams, but for everyone left in the finals race. Here is the equation. If Port Adelaide wins, they secure the minor premiership and uh, will have been on top every week this season. 
one qualifying final, you'll have Port Adelaide playing Geelong. The other one will be Brisbane taking on Richmond. The two elimination finals will be West Coast against Collingwood and St Kilda against the Western Bulldogs. Should Collingwood win, Brisbane will take out the minor premiership. Qualifying finals will be Brisbane v Geelong, Port Adelaide v Richmond. Elimination final, West Coast taking on the Western Bulldogs in Perth and Collingwood taking on St Kilda. So two very different scenarios. The lineups, one change to Collingwood. Coming back into the side is Jaden Stevenson at the expense of Callum Brown, who's been omitted. Port Adelaide have made two changes into the side. Woodcock and Linus out. Cleary with a hamstring injury and Farrell omitted. All sorts of possibilities here. There'll be eight teams watching anxiously, not just the two involved. What do you reckon happens, Finey? Well, I'm tipping Collingwood. And probably the reason I'm tipping Collingwood is there's a big carrot and stick for them. I know that you've got the permutations and uh, I don't think teams would outwardly say who they care to play in the final, but if Collingwood lose, they're off to West Coast. Big trip to Perth. Not any pleasure in that. And otherwise, they can stay in Brisbane, Queensland and place in Kilda. And Port Adelaide, yeah, they'll say that we've been on top all season. We want to win the minor premiership. Yada, yada, yada. But I think we've seen this round. A few of the teams like the West Coast and Geelong. And just certainly West Coast. I'll use that as an example with, you know, a bit to play for, but really, realistically, they knew that Richmond and Geelong, or they thought they probably would have won. I just don't think that they were super intense the way they played. You only need to be 1% off, certainly against a team like Collingwood, for Collingwood to win. So I'm going to go with the Pies. Even Cleary, look, he doesn't have a serious hamstring. If there was a final, they'd be playing. He'd be playing. So just that... Um, and Brisbane as well. That that way that Brisbane played, I think Port might play the same way, and that can be enough for Collingwood to win. I think I think that's very sound reasoning, and um, I'd probably go along with that. But I've sort of decided. I keep saying Port Adelaide are legitimate. Uh, I need to show a bit of faith of them in tipping terms. Look, they certainly avoiding that trip to Perth is a very real thing. Having said that, I think Collingwood has generally done better in Perth than most sides. Um, the other thing I'd say about Port, it might sound like hollow motivation, but uh, if they do win, they will become the first side in 20 years since Essendon of 2000 to be on top of the ladder every week of a season. It's no small accomplishment. They've been terrific this year and just a, a pride thing. I think they might want to also go into the final series with some good, solid winning form under their belt. And finally, I think I can afford to take a bit of a risk on this tip, seeing... No, you can't. This is a 15-point game. Uh, no, it's not, because uh, my lead over you in the tipping stands at 11. So if I get this one wrong, I will still have beaten you by 10 overall. And I can live with that, finally. I think it's a fairly convincing margin and I'm prepared to give up one meaningless tip at the end of the season to you just to make you feel better about your tipping ability. I don't 
think that there's any ability in tipping. I think it's shit. <laughs> I've never been interested. I'm not interested in it. You know, I'd rather analyse the game and, you know, I've always sort of looked at games of football and thought that team's a 20% chance, a 10% chance, but uh, certainly teams are chances, you know. I, I, I don't like tipping one team or the other. I think it's stupid. But that is the way we go about our business and you've bested me this year. No problems with that. No, I, look, I, I do believe you too. I know, I don't doubt for a second your football knowledge is fantastic and tipping can be a guessing game. Uh, there will be some who will say that sounds like sour grapes, but I'm not one of them. So uh, let's see who emerges uh, with that tip right. More importantly, uh, and seriously, let's see who emerges on top of the ladder and what the makeup of the finals is. But that is the end of this episode. Uh, and now I would like you, Finey, to uh, give a quick shout out to our wonderful sponsors. Andrew's Hamburgers. We can make it quick because the early plug was extensive. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Great hamburgers, but also great people there. Not just the two Gregs. The whole staff, very friendly. And same with Nick Spartels. His staff, by the way, laden with former champion footballers. Oh, I won't drop the names, but um, he's got some stars on the tools, let me tell you. West Point Properties, inner southeastern suburbs, great builds. And Rowan, earlier on in the program, you did describe um, one of the players as uh, silk amongst nylon, which I like that expression very much. Um, and I also like that you mentioned nylon because I'm sure you're over this, but nylon is in fact named after the two cities it was invented in, New York and London. That's is a bit it, of trivia. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, it was invented by the DuPont Company, who had offices in New York and London. The original name for it, because the London office was given the honour of naming it, was um, uh, London, Londonium or Lon, Lon, Londonia or something. But the New York office arced up and they came up with nylon, New York and London. It's amazing. I must say, your capacity to just reel off um, rubbish. No, 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 not at all. Previously unknown information that may come in handy if I'm at some silly trivia night where someone asks me why is nylon called nylon, which might happen, you know, it's about a one in a hundred thousand chance, but it might happen. It is remarkable. So never let it be said that you don't learn something when you listen to an episode of Footyology. I know I'm quite seriously... And that came up, it came up during the week because they had found out that there are trillions of tiny particles of nylon and polyester in the water systems around the world because every time a person washes something made out of nylon or polyester, tiny particles end up in the water system. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So I've got to say, it's far from my favourite fabric. I've always found it very uncomfortable. So there you go, footyology. You learn about football, you learn about uh, fabric. Uh, yep, good. yeah, you do. Thank God that was another F word. Uh, and if we go on much longer, I'm going to drop another one. There you go, that was a boom, boom moment. Um, <laughs> all right, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, hope your team had a win. I hope they're playing finals. If they're not like mine, well, 
you know, just jump on someone else's bandwagon. But it's going to be an interesting final series. We'll be across it all. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday uh, with a special um, pre-finals by edition where we will review the seasons of those 10 teams that didn't make the finals. Get on the Footyology website uh, during the week. Some great stuff coming up. In fact, I can tell you now, Martin Flanagan's column this week is a cracker. Make sure you read it. That will be up from late this evening and all day tomorrow. We'll see you soon. 